What are we gonna do? We got a big problem. And then I discovered as I was looking for my good moments that I didn't have any. Here are some words of wisdom from Mr. Know-It-All. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today it's late spring as I record this. Graduations are taking place. People are leaving high school. People are leaving college. And I know a lot of people are starting to think about what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to find a job? Am I going to find a career? Am I going to be able to support myself? Will mom and dad let me keep my room for the next 10 years? All of these are important questions, and we've all asked ourselves these questions. Well, today's episode is about my time right out of school, because I struggled with these questions too, believe me. We all do. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say we all do. I know certain people have it in their heads exactly what they want to do, exactly where they're going to work. They have a job offer from a family friend or from a family member. They have their dream job all picked out. They know where they're going right after they graduate. And they're fine with that and more power to them. But I also know there's a lot of people, probably the majority of people, have no idea what they're going to do after graduation. And I was one of them. And so I'm going to tell you stories about that today, but I'm going to do that with an eye towards telling you that it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to feel unsure of what's my next step. It's okay to graduate without a job. It's okay not to know what to do with the rest of your life when you're 20 or 22 or 25. It's perfectly okay. As long as you have a mind towards finding something for yourself to sustain yourself, you'll be able to eat and you'll be able to pay rent. Now, are you going to have your dream job of being a movie star, a rock star, a painter, an actor, a computer programmer, a cartoonist? Maybe not right away, but that doesn't stop you from working your way towards that while you do something else. And believe me, I've changed jobs enough times in my life. You can land on your feet. So this episode is about, don't worry, just keep working, you'll be fine. Now, I've talked previously about my work in high school. I started working when I was 15 years old. I told you about the first job that I had at the Hackle Barney Cider Mill. I learned how to drive a tractor. I learned how to press cider. I learned what goes into running a farm market. So I picked up some skills, none of which that I've used since then. I haven't driven many tractors in the past few years, but I could if I had to. But the point is, that was my first job. I took it because I needed a job. I wanted some spending money, had to pay for my insurance, had to pay for my car registration, had to pay to keep a car on the road. That's why I took a job. I needed it. And the second job that I had was at the gas station. I've talked about that in the past, too. Again, learned a lot. Learned how to do brake jobs, learned how to do tune-ups, learned how to change oil, learned how to drop an engine out of a Volkswagen and replace a clutch, learned how to put a front end on a Volkswagen Bug. So yeah, I learned a lot there. Not what I'm doing now, but it's a skill set that I have as a result of a year plus working at a garage. And I did it because I needed a job. Then I went out to Ohio for college, Bowling Green State University. And I've talked about that a little bit too. I did an episode about how many majors I had in college. There were a few. Because as I said then, I wasn't sure what the hell I wanted to do with my life. When I went into school, I was 18 years old. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Who knows what they want to do at 18? Some people do, I know. My roommate in college knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to be an accountant. He majored in accounting. He took all the accounting classes, graduated with a degree in accounting, passed the CPA exam, and has been an accountant for years. He knew what he wanted to do, and good for him. I was the exact opposite. Now, during my senior year, 
One of the things that I thought about, because I was a resident advisor and working in the dorms, I thought about staying in that field. I thought about staying in a university capacity, working at the school or at a school, perhaps as a hall director, perhaps in student life, because I really enjoyed working in that capacity. I liked it. And so as graduation rolled around, I started applying to graduate school because they had a graduate program in college services, I think it was called. College Life. I don't even remember the name of the program. CSP, I think it was. College Services Program. And what that would have given me is a master's degree in college studies. You could be a hall director. You could run student life programming. You'd be in charge of all the events that they plan at a university, set things up at the student union, book acts, do all kinds of stuff to keep the students entertained. And at the time, that was very appealing to me. Now, there was no way I could afford graduate school, so what I had to do was find a way to afford graduate school if I was accepted into the program. Now, I was fortunate because they accepted me into the program and I had applied for a position at a college near Bowling Green that was part of the CSP program at Bowling Green. So they made me a hall director. They paid my room and board and enough of a salary so that it could pay my tuition. So it was a great package for me. I got to stay in school. I got to study what I thought I wanted to do. And I only had to commute to class a couple of times a week. So it was great. I was living on campus at a different school. I was running a hall. I was programming events for students. And I was learning how to do this on a more professional level. I guess that's what they teach you in graduate school, right? And I really enjoyed that year. It was great fun. Now, the master's program was a two-year program. And I stayed for the first year. And during that first year, one of the things that I learned... Living on a college campus when you're 22, 23 years old, it's not the same as when you're 18 or 19. I was tired of the beer bashes and the parties at 2 in the morning and all of the drama that goes with being a young college student. When I was 18, 19, 20, I didn't mind it. When I was 21, 22, 23, it was getting tiresome. And so I finished out my year, of course, but I decided not to finish the graduate program because I started having pictures of myself as a 30-year-old hall director living on a college campus, and I just had this sad little image of myself down the road, which at the time seemed way down the road. Now it's a blip in my rearview mirror. But when I was in graduate school, envisioning myself as a 30-year-old little hall director, hmm, I decided against that path. So I left the graduate school and I left the program. As I said, it was a great year, had a lot of fun, but I kind of knew it was time to try something a little different than living on campus. Unfortunately, there was no place for me to land after being a hall director for a year in a master's program, so I had to move back home. And yes, I moved back with mom and dad. And they took me. They were happy to accept me. Well, at least they put on a happy face. They didn't kick me out, but I wasn't sure what to do. If you remember my episode about the multiple majors that I had in college, I had a liberal arts degree that qualifies you to do exactly nothing. You have a lot of education, it just doesn't apply to anything. It helped me get into graduate school, but it didn't help me do very much of anything else. So I got home and I had no job prospects. Mom and dad said I could live at the house, but I had to contribute. And to do that, I had to have a job. And so I started looking for a job. I had about a week's vacation after I got out of graduate school, but then it was out on the job market. And you have to understand, when you're 23 years old and you don't have anything in mind, you're just kind of out there. And maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you're in the same situation or you were in the same situation. I don't know what to do. So I started in the classifieds. Yeah, I had a college degree, but there weren't a lot of positions out there asking for a liberal arts major. 
Oh, and by the way, when I say I started with the classifieds, back in the day, no internet, no monster.com, no LinkedIn. If you wanted a job, you bought the newspaper, you went to the classified ad section, and there was a whole section called the help wanted section. And that's where everybody who was hiring advertised the jobs they had available. And it was everything. Everything from accountants, to mechanics, to HVAC techs, to real estate agents. Any kind of job you could imagine, they advertised in the classified ads. Job recruiters advertised in the classified ads. A job recruiter is basically monster.com, but in the form of a company. And they would bring people in with their resumes and interview them and try to place them at places where they thought they could do a good job. And so I called up a recruiter, sent them my resume, went in for an interview, and they kind of said, well, yeah, you've got an education, but not much use for a liberal arts degree out here. Thank you. Thank you for that. So I had my resume at a recruiter, and then I just started going through the ads. Now, one of the ads was for a limousine company. Silver Ghost Limousine was looking for drivers. Now, I'd never driven a limousine before, but I could drive, and I loved driving. And back at that time, you didn't need a commercial driver's license. You just needed a driver's license and a suit, which I had. And I went in for an interview. I clean up nice when I'm in a suit. Back then, I had hair, so it was nicely combed, clean-shaven, looking as spiffy as I could. And I interviewed for a position as a driver with Silver Ghost Limousine. And I got it. They hired me. I had a clean driving record. I knew how to get to the airports, which was a big requirement of the job. And I knew how to read a map. Again, don't forget, before Google Maps, before Waze, you actually had to read a map. And I could figure it out. So they hired me. And it was a decent gig. I had a good time with that job. I learned a lot, at least about driving, and about New York City, and about the local airports, and about people. Now, driving a limo is a unique kind of job. Where I was living in New Jersey, it's really a suburb area. People work in New York City or work in some of the big cities, and they travel all over the place. They have to fly out of Newark. They have to fly out of JFK. They have to fly out of LaGuardia Airport. So you have to know how to get to those places. And as I came to learn, businessmen leave early in the morning. They would often have a 7 a.m. flight, and they'd return late in the afternoon. They'd often have a return flight arriving at 6 p.m. And there's not a lot of limo business between, oh, 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., so you have days to yourself. But the early morning and the late afternoon, you're driving around all of the time. Now, back in the days before 9-11, they didn't have all of the restrictions on air traffic that they do now. There was no TSA line. The security checks were there, but relatively minimal. They recommended you get to the airport maybe 30 minutes before your flight time. You could usually get there 15 minutes before your flight time and clear security and get on your plane. Not so much anymore. But back then, if a guy had a 7 a.m. flight and he lived an hour from Newark Airport, you would pick him up at 5.30 in the morning. The rules were get there 15 minutes before the pickup time in case they were ready to go early. So for a 7 a.m. flight, I'd be picking a guy up at 5.15, which meant that I was up at 4.45 so I could go pick up the limo because we didn't take the limos home with us. We had to go to the company, pick up the car, drive to our client. So yeah, I had some really early mornings driving limos. Getting up at 4.45, showering, shaving, getting in your suit, pick up the car, get to the client at 5.15. That's an early day. And some days, depending on how the runs would go, you'd have two runs in the morning. One guy might have a 7 a.m. flight. One guy might have a 9.30 a.m. flight. So you'd drop your guy off at 6.30 in the morning and then drive to the guy who had the 9.30 flight. Pick him up, take him to the airport. You drop him off and then you have nothing else until 4 o'clock that day. And so what would happen is you'd drop the guy off for his 9.30 flight and then you'd go home. You'd be home by 10.30, 11 o'clock and you'd have five or six hours with nothing to do. 
And then in the afternoon, you'd have runs to go pick up the people coming home at the end of their business trip. A guy arriving on a 5 p.m. flight, you'd have to leave at about 3.30, 4 o'clock, depending on exactly what airline they were on and where you were going. You'd be at the airport about 15 minutes before the flight arrived, and then you'd have to stand at the bottom of the escalator and wait for the person to get off the plane. Now, don't forget, again, this is before cell phones. This is before text messages. As the limo driver waiting for a guy, I'd have to park my car, go into the airport, and wait at the arriving flights area. Now, you may have seen this kind of scene in movies or on TV back in the 70s, back in the 80s, back in the 90s. Limo drivers would wait for airplanes and hold a little sign with the last name of their client on the sign. So I got to have a cute little sign that I'd write my client's name on and hold it at the bottom of the escalator. Me and 25 other limo drivers waiting at the bottom of the escalator, holding our little signs, and the line of business travelers would come down the escalator, and they'd each read their little signs and look for their name. And that's how we found our clients. And then, of course, being a courteous limo driver, you would have the client wait at the terminal, unless they wanted to walk out to the car with you, which some did. But ordinarily, they'd wait at the terminal, you'd go get the car, bring it around, and pick them up at the baggage claim entry, and then drive them home. And just like with the departures, the arrivals were the same thing. If you had an early arrival, a 4.30, a 5 o'clock flight, you'd drive them home, drop them off, and then head back to the airport to pick up somebody coming in on the 7 p.m. flight that's later. Now, the company I work for, they paid pretty well. We got paid per limo run if it was an airport run. And then my company automatically billed a tip in each invoice so that I was always guaranteed a tip. And they did that because not everybody tipped limo drivers. But despite the fact that the tips were billed, every once in a while I'd get a guy who would also tip me an additional amount, which was cool. An extra 20 bucks, an extra 30 bucks. One guy tipped me 50. It was awesome. An extra 50 bucks. Woohoo! And that job kept me busy. Now, as you can tell, the hours were kind of strange. Early morning, late afternoon. Every once in a while you'd get a party that you'd have to drive for. A bachelorette party. I drove one bachelorette party to Chippendales in New York. Imagine that. A limo full of women screaming out the back, dropping them off at Chippendales in New York City. And then I'd sit and wait for them and drive them home. I drove proms. I drove weddings. I drove Christmas parties. Yeah, there was a lot of things that kept me busy as a limo driver. And I enjoyed that job, for the most part. But I also knew it wasn't a career. It was technically a full-time job, but it would be like four hours in the early morning, four hours in the late afternoon, sometimes weekend runs, but not often. And I really wanted to make some money. So while I was driving limos, I also took a second job. I worked in retail. As I was going through the mall one afternoon, there was a store called Fashion Bug. And I think I've mentioned this store in a previous episode. I applied to be the stock boy at Fashion Bug. They needed a part-time stock boy. I applied and got the job. I took the job for a couple of reasons. Number one, I wanted the extra money. Number two, the hours at the limo company were not really the most regular. It was technically full-time, as I said, but it was a sporadic full-time. Sometimes I'd get 30 hours a week. Sometimes I'd get 45 hours a week. But it wasn't a definite number of hours a week. So I wanted to supplement my income. So that was the second reason that I took it. And the third reason, Fashion Bug was a women's clothing store. And guess who works at women's clothing stores? Women. Guess who shops there? Women. So a 24-year-old guy working in a women's clothing store, populated by women, shopped at by women. I did the math. I figured out this would be a good place to meet people. There was a method to my madness. And the funny thing is about the fashion bug job is I actually enjoyed that job too. Now, as a stock clerk in a fashion bug, you get a lot of shipments every week. Now, this is back when shopping malls were still big. So the store was always hopping. People were always in there. And we got new clothes in every week that had to be stocked. You had to open up the boxes, hang the stuff up, bring it out to the floor. And that's what I did. 
And being the young, virile, husky hiker that I was back in the day, I could heft those boxes with the best of them. They weren't that heavy, it was clothes. But I managed. But what I discovered is I liked that job and I liked unpacking the boxes and I liked bringing the stuff out because what they would also have me do is put them on shelves or put them on hangers so that they looked appealing to the eye. You'd set up displays and I learned how to do displays. And back in those days, Fashion Bug would do walls. And when I say do walls, the wall would have a theme like summer fun or spring fling or whatever it was. So I'd have to go find the clothes to fit the theme and then hang them up on the hooks on the walls and rearrange the hooks to make it look like something. And apparently I actually had an eye for this because the general manager of the area would always compliment my work, would always talk to the manager about me. At one point they wanted to offer me an assistant manager job. I didn't take it, but it was something that was on the table for me. But I learned by keeping my options open how to do fashion merchandising. So for the two years after I got out of college, I learned how to drive limos. I learned how to be a customer service person in that role because you always had to placate irritated customers, either if their plane was late or if their plane was delayed or if there was traffic. You handled a lot of customer complaints from the front seat of a limo. I also learned fashion merchandising. I learned customer service at the fashion bug. I learned how to look for a size 11 in the back. I learned all the little ins and outs of retail because I put myself in a position where I had to. Now, it was during this time that I was working at the Fashion Bug and working as a limo driver that I decided to try to get into radio. Now, how did I make that jump? Well, as you might remember, and I've talked about this in the past, and in case you don't remember, I did work in radio in college. One of my first majors was journalism, and as part of that, I worked a news shift at the college radio station. And I talked about how I enjoyed that, how I had to write my copy, how I liked being on the air. But because I changed my major, I couldn't stay with that. But I did enjoy that. And while I was driving limos, when I didn't have people in the car, I would crank up my radio. And I'd listen to various people on the radio. Don Imus, Howard Stern, the Z Morning Zoo, all of the different DJs that were on the air. I enjoyed listening to them and I enjoyed what they were doing. And I remembered back in my childhood recording things on the little tape recorder we had in the bedroom. And so during the downtime that I had as a limo driver, driving empty, or at the fashion bug, stocking shelves or hanging things on hooks, I started thinking about, well, what else could I do? And that's when it came to me that I really wanted to try radio. I enjoyed it when I did it as a newscaster. I enjoyed listening to the DJs that I was listening to on the radio. I figured, what the hell? Give it a shot. Now, I didn't know the first thing about breaking into radio. I didn't know the first thing about it. So I started trying to figure out what I should do. I discovered that there was a radio station at one of the local colleges. One town over, there was a place called Centenary College, and they had a radio station on campus. And it was ordinarily reserved for students who were interested in working radio. But I went over and talked to the instructor in the radio station. And I said, I'd like to volunteer here just to learn the business. I want to learn how things work. I want to see how things work. And the instructor heard all he needed to hear when I said, volunteer. And he said, well, we have trouble getting people to work Saturday nights. And I said to myself, really? Saturday nights are tough to fill on a college town? Imagine that. So he offered me a shift from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Saturday evenings. And I said, sure, what do I have to do? Play records. And I said, boom, I'm there. 6 p.m. didn't interfere with anything that I was doing. I wasn't driving limos at 6 p.m. I wasn't working at Fashion Bug at 6 p.m. on Saturday nights. So it worked perfectly in my schedule. And so I started doing a shift Saturday evenings on the radio at Centenary College, and I was horrible at it. 
I know I was horrible at it because I would bring a little tape deck with me because I wanted to make recordings of myself to see how good I was or how bad I was. And because I had learned during my research that you have to send air checks to radio stations to let them know what you sound like so when you apply for a job there, they know what they're getting. And so I went to Centenary with my little boombox and I'd record the station that I was on. And then I'd play back the tapes and listen to myself. The goal being to edit all the good parts out, put them together in a compilation of my best moments, and send them to other radio stations where they actually might pay me. And then I discovered, as I was looking for my good moments, that I didn't have any. I'm self-aware enough to know when I'm doing something well and when I'm doing something not so well. My early air shifts were horrible. Now, I was comparing myself to people like Howard Stern, Don Imus. I didn't know how to talk up a record. I didn't know how to talk out of a record. I didn't know how to hit a post. I didn't know how to smoothly blend one song into the next as you're transitioning. I didn't know when to start talking. I didn't know when to stop talking. So then I started listening more closely to the people who were on regular radio to figure out what the hell they were doing that I wasn't doing. So I listened to a lot of radio. And I kept showing up on Saturday nights, week after week after week. Never missed a Saturday. And if somebody needed me to fill in for them, oh, could you do 8 to 10? Sure, I'll do an extra two hours. I would take the extra shifts so I could keep practicing. And little by little, I started improving. Not a lot, because I had nobody teaching me. I wasn't a student at Centenary. I was just filling time for them. But I learned, little by little, how to do basic radio broadcasting. And I was able to put together enough good moments to put together an air check. And I started sending it around to local radio stations near where I lived. All this while I was still driving limos. All this while I was still working at Fashion Bug. I would devote whatever spare time that I had to try to put together a decent air check. And eventually, one of the local radio stations in the same town where Centenary was heard my air check, called me up, and offered me a job. It was only a weekend slot to start, but they needed somebody to do weekends. And they were going to pay me. They were going to pay me to do a job that I really, really wanted. And of course I said yes. How could I not? Thankfully, I had a good enough reputation with both the limo company and Fashion Bug that they worked around my schedule. I said, I'm getting into radio. I have these shifts that I have to do, so I can't work these hours. And they worked with me. And lo and behold, I had a regular weekend shift at WRNJ in New Jersey. It was an AM station, WRNJ 1000. Those are the calls. And I worked my way from weekends, showing up every weekend, not missing a shift, taking extra shifts when they needed me. And to make a very long story short, I worked my way into a regular afternoon shift. And then when the station manager decided to change things up, I moved over to mornings, morning drive. That's the top position at a radio station, morning drive. Most people who listen to radio listen in the mornings. They listen on their morning commute. You are a part of their day-to-day routine. That's why morning drive is so important. So many people listen at that part of the day. And so when you get the morning drive gig, that's like home run territory for a radio DJ. And within about a year, I was the morning drive guy at WRNJ. And boy, oh boy, did I have fun with that. Now, when I got the afternoon gig, I stopped driving limos. I stopped working at Fashion Bug because it was a full-time job. I had to be there several hours a day. I had to do prep time. I had to do studio time after the shift. So there was no time for anything else. But I loved the limo job, and I loved the fashion bug job, and they made it possible for me to get my radio job. Because while I was volunteering to learn radio, I was still making money driving limos and working at fashion bug. And when I finally got the paying job at the radio station, I was able to get rid of those other jobs. But it made it possible to get the paying job that I really, really wanted. And I guess that's the lesson to take from all of this. 
is that I kept all of my options open, found something that I was interested in, and while I was earning a living doing stuff that I didn't necessarily love, love doing, it paid the bills while I could find something that paid me to do something that I really did enjoy, which was radio. Now, obviously, that's not where the story ends, but I can see I've been rambling on for quite a while. So, what I'm going to do is we're going to stop the career story there for now. We've been to Fashion Bug, we've been to the limo driving, we've been to radio. My career continued well past that, but we'll save that for another episode. The point of today's episode was to tell you, you don't have to know exactly what you want to do with the rest of your life today, or tomorrow, or even in five years. The lesson that I learned, if you keep your options open, if you keep taking chances, doors will open for you. Even if you have to turn the knob yourself, you'll see the door there and it'll open once you get to it. You just got to look for it. There's no reason you have to worry about not having a direction at this point in your life or at any point in your life. You'll find a way ahead. It may not be the way that you envisioned for yourself, but you never know where that road is going to lead you. You'll find a path for yourself. So keep moving. So yeah, I've had a colorful background. I've done a lot of different things. I've learned a lot of things along the way. They're all good experiences, some better than others. But the thing is, I wouldn't trade any of them in. I've learned something from everything I've done. And yeah, I've made some odd choices in my life. I agree with that. I've gone in some weird directions. I don't disagree with that either. But for the most part, I've landed on my feet. And I guess that's the point of life, isn't it? You land on your feet, you live your life, and you do the best that you can. And that's what I keep trying to do. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for the time that you spend here. Your support really means the world to me. And I can't thank you enough. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.